up reading there and then go ahead and get into verses 10, 11 and following. In verse number 9, we're introduced to a man by the name of Diotrephes. He's not a, not a great guy, uh, as we'll see tonight. As John writes, we understand that he's not a guy to be imitated. But here it is in verse number 9. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Of course, John, being an apostle, uh, had authority to, uh, uh, to preach, to teach, to reveal the Word of God. And, and yet, here's another guy, Diotrephes, who has set himself up even above him. He's decided that he is smarter, that he is better than even one chosen, hand-chosen by the Lord himself. And so, as we see Diotrephes, we talked about last week, we understand that uh, uh, he has put himself up on a pedestal, if you will, at least in his own mind. And, and as we talked about last week, uh, we, we understand, we know that John is going to confront him, beginning in verse number 10. He says, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, uh, want to and puts them out of the church. Now, we actually were talking about this passage last time. We want to we talk about a, a few things, remind ourselves about a few things, and then move on, but... John, uh, uh, the beloved John, the, the, the apostle of love, uh, looks like he is uh, going to uh, uh, turn back to what we might call his old ways here. Uh, if you remember anything about James and John, when, uh, uh, when they were younger guys, of course, this is when John, uh, John is writing this, when he is an aged gentleman. But when John was a lot younger... Uh, he was uh, uh, pretty outspoken, it seems. He was uh, on top of things, if you will. Uh, and he, he was not willing, evidently, to, to take uh, too much. Do you remember what, uh, what Jesus <coughs> called James and John? Do you remember the nickname that he gave them? Sons of Thunder. There's another word for it, Boandrines, which means sons of thunder. Now, why would Jesus call James and John, why would he call them sons of thunder? What, what was it that, that he would, would cause Jesus to give them that nickname? He gave Peter the nickname Peter. Uh, Simon is his real name. Peter is, his, as it were, his nickname given to him by, by Jesus. But why would Jesus call James and John Boandrenes? Why would he call them sons of thunder? What? What kind, of, what kind of guys were they? Do you remember an occasion that we read about in Luke chapter 9? Look at verses 53 and 54. Somebody turn over there and read John 9, 53 and 54 for us. And we'll begin to get the picture of personalities in regard to James and John that would uh, earn them the name by, by Jesus uh, as sons of thunder. Luke 9, verses 53 and 54. Whoever gets there first, go ahead and read it out loud for us. Somebody got it? But they did not receive him because his face was set for a journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to condemn fire 
or command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did. All right. So do you get a picture of them? What was it they wanted to do? The people wouldn't listen to Jesus. People in Samaria wouldn't listen to him because he was going to Jerusalem. The Samaritans hated the people in Jerusalem as bad as the people in Jerusalem hated the ones in Samaria. And so as they pass through and Jesus preaches and the folks reject Jesus because he's going to Jerusalem, what did James and John want to do? Uh, to call down fires to do what? Hey, we're going to get rid of the whole town. We're going to turn this town into nothing but, uh, but, but ashes here. And so just like God had uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and just like, as he talks about Elijah, you know, had commanded the fire to come down from heaven, they want to they wanna use their power too. And so they may have had just a little bit of a, uh, a temper. You know, they, they're, they're sort of like a lot of folks today. And so that earned them, things like that earned them the name Sons of Thunder. Okay, now, now why, does that, why does that make a difference? Well... John, in his later years, has come to be known as the, the apostle of love. But John is still not willing to allow just anything and everything to go. He, he, he is not so averse to uh, confrontation that, he, uh, that he'll just step aside and allow things to continue on. Here is a bully. We hear a lot about bullying today, bullying of, uh, of children in school and things like that, but Diotrephes was a bully. And so John says, when I come, he's going to do something. What does John say in verse 10 that he's going to do? So if I come, even the standard says, I will do what? What does he say? I will do what? All right. English Standard says, I will bring up what he is doing. What does it mean to, to bring it up? How was it it's translated? I'll remember. Other words, the idea is that, that he is going to put him in remembrance of it. What's he going to do? He is going to confront him. And he is going to bring up, he's going to discuss, if you will, the things that, that uh, he was doing wrong. Now, why, why would John want to do that? Why would John confront the bully when he came to him? Who, who had more power, John or Diotrephes? Who had God on his side? Who's still living in the days of the miraculous? Had God ever struck anyone down because of sin? I mean, didn't let them live? Have you ever read about Ananias and Sapphira? And so John is going to confront him, hopefully with the intention of getting him to change his ways. But John says, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Now, what was it that he's doing? What's he going to confront him about? Next part of that verse says, he is talking, English Standard Translation, talking wicked nonsense. Talking wicked nonsense about who? The apostles. Now there's probably not but one left, John, okay? 
But he's talking about John and even the ones, remember that Gaius is uh, uh, supposed to be entertaining or supposed to be helping, if you will, some of the missionaries that had come from John from Ephesus and, and were going into the other parts of the world. He was wanting to help them, and of course, Diotrephes doesn't. But uh, these men are being sent by John to spread the gospel. And, and so I believe it's John, and I believe it's those other guys who are, who are preaching and teaching the truth. And so he is, he is talking nonsense against us. What, what kind of things is he saying about them? Well, he doesn't specify, but it very well could be that what he's doing is, is because he has set him up, himself up so high that he is saying wicked things, nonsense, about John. Yeah, he, uh, he used to be a somebody. He used to follow along with God, Jesus. He was with him when he uh, was on the earth. But, you know, he's gotten to be an old man now. You know, sometimes we talk about those who, who are getting older as being senile, you know, and, and losing some of their vigor. And, and, and you know, Diotrephes is saying nonsense against him. And not only is it nonsense, but he modifies even that word. Wicked nonsense. You see, what Diotrephes is doing, what he's saying is sinful. It's sinful. It's not just, oh, you know, he's just, uh, um, he, he's just one of these old blowhards. What he's doing is sinful. Now, casting people out of the church, and as we'll talk about in just a second more detail, but what he is saying is wrong. Does that tell us anything about our language, about what we say about other people? Does it tell us that we should be watching out about what we say? About uh, the words that come out of our mouth in regard to to folks, did, did, Jesus ever, did Jesus ever do any teaching about uh, talking about other folks? You remember he said a person who calls another a fool is in danger of the judgment. We need to be very careful about what we say. Sometimes we say things without thinking about it. I don't think that was what Diotrephes was doing. I think Diotrephes had thought it through. And he was talking about and bad. But we need to be careful even ourselves whether, whether we're unintentionally you know, hurting the reputation of another or, or whether we just mean to do that. We need to be very careful about our speech because how many of the words that we speak will we give an account for? All of them. All of them. And so we have a man who is running off at the mouth here, and, and he, 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 has, uh, he has a problem. Now, he doesn't want to help the brothers, welcome the brothers. What brothers? The missionaries, again, that we've already discussed here in the book of Third John. And men like Gaius, others who are a part of the church, you remember John is encouraging Gaius, thanking him for helping them in prior times and encouraging them to help him, encouraging him to help them uh, again when they come back. But men like Gaius, who are thought of very highly 
by the missionaries, by John, by the church. What is he doing to them? He says, English Standard, puts them out of the church. What is it that he's doing? Go to the book of John chapter 2 at verse number 15. John chapter 2, verse number 15. When you get there, somebody gets there, read that out loud. John 2, verse 15. When he, made, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. The sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Okay. The word we want to focus on out of John 2, 15 is the word... Drove. Jesus goes in and he sees the, the money changers. He, he sees what they're doing and defiling God's plan and God's uh, house, God's temple. And he made a whip. That, that's Jesus. And he went back in and what did he do? He put them out of the temple. That's the word how it's translated here in 3 John, verse 10. Translated differently, same word, but we see the force behind it when we go back to the book of John, chapter 2. Jesus drove them out of the, out of the temple courtyard. Here we have Diotrephes driving, putting people out of the church. He's running them off. Okay? Another, another place where that same word is used is found in the book of Acts, chapter 7 at verse 58. Chapter 7 at verse 58. You see, and the reason I'm calling our attention to these is we see the force behind what Diotrephes is doing when we see the word used in a different place. Go to Acts chapter 7, verse 58. So here we have the story of, uh, of uh, Stephen. And remember... Who Stephen was. Stephen is a man who's about to give his life for the faith. Uh, sometimes we call him the first Christian martyr, first one to do that. But what does the Bible say there in Acts chapter 7, verse 58? Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay. Again, at the first part of that verse, they did what to Stephen? They Cast him out of this. What, what picture do you get when you see Stephen being cast out of the city? Physical force. Yeah, physical force. They grab him up and they drag him out, throw him out of the city because they can't stone him inside the, the gates. That would be against the Old Testament law. And so they have to take him outside the city. But, but hey... It's forceful. It's not something, oh, come on, Stephen. You know, come on out here. They grab a hold. That's the force. That's what we're looking at with Diotrephes. And so he casts them out. He drives them out. He puts them out of the church. What kind of picture does that paint of Diotrephes? We know, number one, he thinks himself... John's already told us, he, he puts himself up in number one place. But how does he maintain his, his position? 
by continuing to be that bully. Bully. You don't come back. You don't. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know if he's a big burly dude. I don't know if he knew Kung Fu. I don't know what it was. You know? But I understand that he has put himself in a position. I don't know. I don't know about his business life. I don't know about what he did. Bible doesn't. God doesn't choose to tell us. But I figure he's probably a bully every day, not just on Sunday. Don't you? That's usually the kind of people that we have like that. And, and so he, he is casting, driving, putting people out of the church. Okay? So, as we look at this guy, what, what, would, you, what would be your conclusion about him? Well, he certainly is not a guy we'd want to be like. But what about some of those younger folks? If they see him acting with that authority and they see the pedestal that he's placed himself upon, perhaps one of these young, innocent minds would like to have that kind of power one day. Right? Don't we see people like that? Isn't that sort of what's happening today in a lot of places in our society where you get the bullies to go out in the streets and they protest and they think they're bigger than they are? and Yeah, they're impressionable and they're led in the wrong direction. So, what does John say? Verse 11. Beloved, remember he's writing to Gaius, do not imitate evil. But imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. And whoever does evil has not seen God. Okay? So he's pointing him in the he's pointing him in the right direction. Now let me read you, take just a second to read a paragraph from uh, one of the commentaries, gospel advocate commentary, it just happened to be that I I picked up some of the things that Brother Guy in Woods wrote in regard to Diotrephes. He says, Diotrephes, he said, he was an ambitious, unscrupulous church boss opposed alike to apostolic authority and missionary work, a servant of Satan and an agent of the devil. Diotrephes' conduct was insubordination of the most advanced type, and the apostle promised to deal in summary fashion with him when he arrived. Just what course John would follow, he does not indicate. We may be sure that he would expose the rebellious disposition characteristic of the man, exhibit the ungodliness he was manifesting, and warn the saints against him. He would, of course, be divested of any further authority in the congregation, and if he did not repent, he would speedily be excluded from the fellowship of the church. And this is the guy that John writes and says, don't be like him. Don't be like him. Don't imitate evil. That's what Diotrephes was. You can't be like this guy. Look at the phrase in verse number 11. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does good is from God. What we need to remember 
is God is the source of all that's good. God is the source of all that's good. Do you remember one occasion when there was a man who came to, uh, to Jesus and he called him good master? He asked him a question after that, but he called him good master. How did Jesus respond when this guy came to him and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How did Jesus respond to that guy? Why do you call me good? Only one is good. Of course, what Jesus is saying, you're recognizing me as God. Jesus is not saying I'm not good, but he's saying you're recognizing me as God. But his point is only one is good. What does that mean? That there's no good people here on the earth? That's a yes or no. Now, the only source that we have of being good and the only standard we have to judge what is good is God. And so, the one who is doing good is the one whose life is habitually filled with good. He he does good from proper motives. You know, he has his heart in the right place. And he is good because he has been influenced by the source and by the standard of all that is good. Now look at, the, look at the passage again. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil hasn't done what? He hasn't truly been acquainted with God. He doesn't know what good is. He doesn't know about the good God that we serve. And so he is telling us in, in, in so many words that we're to be like, to be like God, okay? The one whose life is uh, characterized by bad deeds, harmful, injurious deeds, wicked deeds, that person is not in, in, in any way acquainted with God. He hasn't, as John would write it here, he hasn't seen God. And so we want to align ourselves with God. We want to align ourselves with the right one. So we don't imitate evil. We don't be like Diotrephes, uh, but rather we act like God. And isn't that what we're supposed to do anyway? Aren't we to strive to be Christ-like? Aren't we to live a godly life? Both of those are telling us, pointing us in the right direction. Okay? Let's continue on. Verse number 12, we're introduced to the third man who uh, John is, uh, he writes to Gaius, but he mentions uh, some things about Gaius. He mentions some things about Diotrephes, and now we've got number three, Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Demetrius. Who was Demetrius? Who was Demetrius? If you know, 
please tell me because I don't. We have the name, but we don't have any other information about him. Except for what John says right here about him. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. What does that mean? It's not a, not a trick question or anything like that, but what does it mean? What did everybody who knew Demetrius say about him? Here's a good man. Demetrius is a good man. You go out and ask anybody who's, who's done business with him. Don't go out and ask anybody who's had any dealing with him in the church. Everyone says Demetrius is a good man. A good man. And then notice this. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. From the truth itself. We'll come back to that one. And then he says, we also add our testimony. Not only was all the folks there, wherever Demetrius was, were they saying it, not only was the ones who had passed through and met Demetrius and come back and reported to the church that we read earlier in the, in the chapter, but John himself, an inspired apostle, writing by inspiration, mind you, says we're adding our two cents worth into it as well. Demetrius is a good man. You know, I, w- I would love to have that same thing said about me by an inspired apostle, wouldn't you? Because on whose authority is John speaking about Demetrius? So who thought Demetrius was a good man? The people did. John did. And God did. Holy Spirit. He's a good man. Now, I said we'd come back to that middle part there. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. From the truth itself... And then he says, we add our testimony. What does he mean when he says that he has received the testimony from the truth itself? Wow. We're finding out more about Demetrius, aren't we? And we're also finding out about the standard by which we are to judge another person. How was it that everyone could say such good things about Demetrius? Just a likable guy? Just a good old boy? Nope, that's not what he says here. He was just a, a fellow you'd enjoy being around? No. When you take Demetrius' life and you place it side by side with the truth, today we have the written truth, the Word of God. When you take his life and you place it side by side with the truth, What does the truth say about him? He's a good man. He is a man approved by truth, by the truth, by God's truth. I've already established since John was writing by inspiration, he is a man approved by God. He was a man who measured up 
to God's Word. Was Demetrius some kind of superman? Why am I asking that? If Demetrius was an ordinary man, and an ordinary man can measure up to God's Word back in the first century, the end of the first century, can ordinary men still measure up to God's Word today? And so that gives me hope. That gives all of us hope that I can do what God wants me to do and I can have a a good reputation among people. I can have a good reputation among strong Christian leaders. I can have a good reputation in God's courtroom because if my life laid side by side with the truth and it measures up to the truth then I'm a good person. That's the standard. Now, let me carry that one step farther. If our life measures up to the truth while we're living here, what is it going to be measured by when we stand before God on the Day of Judgment? Do you remember the statement out of the book of Revelation? And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. What are the books? That last one we know is identified as the book of life. What are the books? What are the books that are opened? These right here. These right here. And what are we judged by? (laughs) We're judged according to those books. So what does that tell us? We better be getting our life matching up with what this book says. We better be like Demetrius. Because one day we will, you know, whether, whether anybody writes anything about us or says anything about us down here, one day we will be measured by the book. And I don't want to be measured and fall short. Because it's then... When I'm standing before God and being measured by the book at that time, that I I won't have another chance. I can't get it right. There's no second opportunities when we're standing there. We're in the courtroom. But I want to drive home that point again. Did Demetrius measure up to the book? And if Demetrius could measure up to the book, can we measure up to the book? Absolutely. And so, what a verse, what information in this little bitty short letter that John reveals to us, things that we need to learn. Okay? Verse 13, he says, I had much more to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 14. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. John says there's a whole lot more things that that we really need to to talk about. But uh, 
some things are just better discussed face to face. That's basically what he says here. A lot of things we need to talk about. Don't want to have to write them. Some things are just better off discussed face to face. And that's what John wanted to do with Gaius. Okay? Do you remember back in 2 John, when we were studying 2 John, go down to verse number 12 of 2 John. It's one of those one-chapter books as well. Do you remember what he wrote to the elect lady? Uh, Verse number 12, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to see you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Indeed, The apostles, John himself in this case, says there are times when I just need to talk to those who I have taught. Talk to the ones who who know the truth. To be there face to face with them. Folks, we need to learn a lesson. Here's a lesson. If John needed to talk to folks face to face, there may be times when elders need to talk to to folks face to face and preachers need to talk to folks face to face and deacons need to talk to folks face to face and Bible class teachers and hey, every one of us may need to go and talk to another face to face. It's not enough sometimes just to just to live a life. Sometimes we have to speak some words. And sometimes it's good to write notes and sometimes it's good to have that personal contact. I think that's one of the things that John intends for us to learn out of both 2 John and 3 John. And so he says, there's some things that I just need to talk to you face to face. I hope to see you soon, and and we'll do that. Look at verse number uh, 15, last verse of the chapter, last verse of the book. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each one by name, or each by name. Notice that first word, peace. Common word used in the scripture, peace. It's actually a pretty common greeting that's used in the scripture. I didn't count to see how many times that it's used, but it's used a number of times. All you you have to do is a lot of times just go to the end of a book and you'll see that, that writer talks to the ones that, to whom he has been writing. Peace. Somebody turn to John chapter 20 at verse 19. John chapter 20 at verse 19. Really quickly. On the evening of that day, what day? The day Jesus rose from the dead. The first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, You got there yet? Peace be with you. Verse 26. Again, eight days later, he gathers up with them. What does he say to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Very quickly tonight, before they all get back in here, I want us to understand that Jesus brought peace to the earth. Do you remember what was said In the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 14, at the birth of Jesus. When the angels were announcing the the birth, what did he say? 
What did they say? If we read it from the King James, peace and good tidings on earth. English Standard renders it closer to what actually was said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We need to remember Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth to everyone. Matter of fact, that's stated several times in the New Testament. Uh, in the book of Luke chapter 12 at verse 51, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Jesus is talking, No. I tell you, I came to bring division. That's what he said. But the point that we want to make that's so outstanding here is that the peace that's mentioned in the New Testament is the peace that's given to those who please God. And the rest of the folks don't have that. The rest of the folks don't have that promise that unless they match their life with the truth. And so that greeting means something uh, in, in the way that it was used. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, one last thing that you do want to take note of, that he tells Gaius to greet each of the friends by name. Another time where that idea is used is in the book of John chapter 10, when the good shepherd calls out the sheep from his fold by name, by name. All right, we've got to quit because everybody's gathered up out there.